Welcome to New City Church's podcast. We're a small non-denominational church in Nashville, Tennessee, practicing the way of Jesus together. For more information on who we are, what we do, and some resources for your faith, you can check out newcitynash.com. But we hope you enjoy this message and that it blesses you. Amen. Will you stand with me in the reading of God's word? We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 today, starting in verse 5. The scripture will be on the screen, but if you'd like to turn there, you are more than welcome to do so as well. It says, after all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you so much for allowing us to be watered by you and grown by you. Um, We pray for deep roots to be grown in us um, that would be grounded when the storms come in this life. We pray for um, the Call Your Family, and we thank you so much for allowing us to just be blessed by um, just all that you're doing in their lives and that we get to be a part of their story. I pray over the message this morning that you would allow us to have open hearts and minds and ears as we hear the truths that you have to tell us this morning through Israel. And lastly, I pray over Israel as he brings the word this morning that the spirit would just flow through him and that the words that he need, that we need to hear would um, come through him open and honest. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Hi, church. Um, as Carly mentioned earlier, um, I am preaching this morning because our lead pastor uh, and his wife, Anna, had a baby. Uh, And so I get to preach this morning. Um, I got to choose the verses that we're going to focus on. And I did so because uh, not only is it very important what Paul writes, and it has such an importance today, but I experienced this firsthand not too long ago. And it talks about the unity in the church. Um, So I want to begin with some background information Um, Carly just read the verses we're going to focus on today, but I want to go back just a bit and read um, what Paul initially writes to the church in Corinth. He says, this is from 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with one another. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. So I want to begin by asking you, um, has there ever been an instance where you start out a project, someone comes, takes over, works on that project, you come back and you're like, oh man, that, I, that's not the way I wanted that to go, right? Yes, anyone? Yeah. So this is what Paul is writing about. Uh, so he talks about divisions in the church, um, and theologians point out that it's important to note that the connotation of the word divisions in the Greek is about restoring to a prior condition. 
it's about putting in order in order of things that has fallen into disarray. So Paul leaves the community, right? He starts this church in Corinth. He leaves it there in a harmonious condition. He comes back, and to his dismay, the church is splitting apart. Okay? Now, what, how is this happening? So uh, Sarah kind of spoke a little about this last Sunday, but what's going on is that the church is kind of dividing itself into little circles. One circle will say, oh, I actually follow Paul. Another one will say, oh, I actually follow Peter. And then another one will say, oh, I actually follow Apollos. And so what is Paul saying here? It is that personal allegiance to leaders that is making the church divide itself. It's not so much about theological differences right now. It will be later on in, in this letter and then other letters that Paul writes. But he's saying, church, what you guys are doing is basically you're saying, my little circle really knows, really belongs to Jesus. And you guys in that circle, uh, not so much. And so... I was talking uh, to my cousin, actually, who's not a believer about this, and he was asking some really great, great questions, and I wanted to share one of the questions he asked. He said, wait, this Paul dude, this is his phrasing, he said, did he have beef with Apollos? And I was like, oh, that's actually a really great question. And the answer is no. How do we know? Um, Hacks actually talks about Apollos, right? Um, it'll be on the screen. Acts 18, 24 and 25. This is what Acts, this is how Acts describes Apollos. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord and taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. So here's what's really important. Paul is emphasizing. He's saying, I'm not fighting against Apollos. He's saying, you guys need to stop dividing yourselves. He's, he, what he, Paul is saying is this. The church belongs to God. God brought it, brought it into being. And he's saying, you, church in Corinth, you are being foolish. You are being destructive. And it's very dangerous for you to choose sides and make allegiances with one leader over another and pit a leader against a leader, right? He's saying what matters most, and this is the central thing, is that you preach a crucified and resurrected Christ. That is your foundation. So it's easy to read, right, 1 Corinthians, what Paul is saying, but how does that apply to us today? And I wanted to share a story. I want to share a story. And I kind of debated on whether I wanted to share it with you guys. Not too long ago, I was part of a church plant here in Nashville. It was this new church. They opened a Hispanic campus not too far from here. Everything was going great. There was a pastor there uh, preaching great. People were learning. People were building up in their faith. And another pastor was brought in. And so those two pastors were going against one another, right? To the point where people started choosing sides. 
one pastor, one group of people were saying, oh, I like Pastor A. Another circle was saying, oh, I like Pastor B. And so what ended up happening? This church that had just opened up with so much potential closed its doors because there was so much fighting inside because they were choosing one leader over another. And so I think it's important to share that story because it still happens today. And so I want to go back to what Paul writes. And so what he's arguing is this. In verse 5, we see that he writes, each of us did the work the Lord gave us. So what is Paul arguing? He's arguing against an individualistic concept of ministry. And he actually emphasizes the opposite. Apollos and Paul each performed the task assigned within a corporate ministry. Neither one of them amounts to anything in his own right. Individual effort is worthless without direction and empowerment from God. I love what verse 6 says. Paul writes, I planted, Apollos watered. And I like it so much because it's using imagery from the Old Testament of the people of God being this field, this garden. Ezekiel 36, 9, for example, says this. See, I cared about you and I will pay attention to you. Your ground will be plowed and your crops planted. He's also referencing Isaiah 5, which says, The nation of Israel is the vineyard of the Lord's heaven's armies. The people of Judah are his pleasant garden. So what is Paul saying? He's saying both of us are agents to facilitate God's work, not our own projects. Ministers like those who are planting out in the fields perform a task, and they plant conditions for growth, but they are not the source of growth. And I think that is something we saw in that church plant I was earlier when people just started fighting against one another because they liked one leader over the other, and they thought they were the source of growth. We lost the vision. Jesus was no longer the, the, the main vision. And so, going back to with my, what I was talking to my cousin, who's not a believer, he was like, wait, so, so this Paul guy, dude, that's actually the word he used, but he was like, did he abandon the church? And see, the answer is no. You read and you see that Paul did a great job, but he went on to plant other churches. So Apollo took over the church to ensure the plants continue to nourish from God's creative work and word. Later on, he'll say, but it was God who made it grow. Ministers come and go, but it's God's work that continues. We see this in history all the time, right? You have the patristic, patristic literature, which are the church fathers. You have the Reformation. You have the Puritans. You have the Charismatics. You have the Baptists. You have the Pentecostals. And let's be honest, big differences, right? But God has been so faithful to continue to work in his people. What's really interesting is how Paul writes. He says, workers are basically powerless to make the seed grow. That is God's mysterious power. It is God who makes the word of the gospel take root and spring up into a living community of faith. So you might be asking, okay, so how do we apply that today? I want to focus on two things. One of them is this idea of us versus them. 
and it's a mentality that destroys the church. Verse 7 says, it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is God makes the seed grow. It's very important that we don't take that mentality of I follow Paul, I follow Peter, I follow Apollos. Those who seek honor and status, that was the thing back then, right? In this context, Sarah preached about this uh, a bit last Sunday. You wanted to be in that circle that had so much power because that's what mattered. But Jesus turns everything upside down. It's the powerless who matter now. And I was thinking about, I'm, a, I'm a, like a really nerdy person when it comes to U.S. history. Um, and I was thinking about George Washington's farewell address. I know, not the most interesting thing. But I think it shows, shows us something important. George Washington, he's giving this speech. He's about to leave the presidency. There's no term limits, but he says, I'm done. And so he writes this for the country. And he warns about one specific thing. Does anybody know what it is? He warns about political parties. He says, political parties, let's not get into that. He says, they will destroy the country because people will focus only on their party. You look at today, maybe we should have listened to George Washington. Later on in verse 8, Paul is writing about working together with Apollos. He says, work together with the same purpose. Planting and watering serve a single goal of facilitating the process of, goal, of growth. Paul and Apollos are not the same person, but they complement each other for a single project. Their efforts complement are complementary of a single project. Now, my cousin was asking, so does this mean we, we're all the same? And the answer is no. Paul, Apollos, Peter were different persons. They had different methods, different strategies, different personalities, but they were working towards a common goal. Both tasks were necessary for the end objective. So what is Paul saying? He's saying the notion of rivalry, competition, and ranking must be excluded from our churches. He's saying when we're building a community for self-interest, for self-fulfillment, that's when it's going downhill. Paul is and Paula are fellow workers who belong to God since he is the one who has assigned them the task. In Greek, the word he uses is, is the word of slave. Um, N.T. Wright, who is a theologian, uh, was explaining the meaning behind the word slave, which can mean slave or it can mean waiter or waitress. So N.T. Wright was explaining that Paul was really saying, I, Paul, and Apollos are simply waiters. God is basically in the kitchen doing everything, and it doesn't matter who the waiter is. The food is coming to you. It'll be all right. So I, I thought that was really good imagery to share with you guys. And the last thing I want to touch on is something we find in verse 9. 
Paul writes, for we are both God's workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. And I want to focus on the imagery of a building, right? Applied to the church, this excludes individualism. A building is a corporate structure. And in the Greek, the words they use uh, emphasize the process of building up. It's not built already. It's a continuation. And I want to focus on something Bonhoeffer said. Uh, Bonhoeffer was a uh, theologian who was against the Nazi regime. And he was a pastor who was actually executed for plotting to kill Hitler. Um, and he was actually executed for trying to kill Hitler. Um, but he is one of the theologians we look to, we look to now. Uh, he's on like the level of C.S. Lewis. You'll see a lot of pastors reference Bonhoeffer. But he says this, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in, we, in which we may participate. And I thought that was a really beautiful image to capture what Paul is trying to say. And so Paul is explaining this is the way churches should work. And today I think our thinking about participating in God's kingdom leads us to two dangerous types of thinking. One says this, I don't matter, I have nothing to offer the church. While another type of dangerous thinking says this, it all depends on me. I'm the person. They're both very wrong. Paul is so eager to get churches started. And he's seen how difficult it can be. He sees how difficult it is on people. And it's so difficult for him to come back to the churches he's planted and seeing them in disarray. So I was thinking, okay, so how, how do we approach this today? We know that Paul is inviting us to participate in the church. He's saying spiritual maturity is seeing how unified you are with your church. So I ask you today, how should we approach this invitation to participate in God's building, in God's field, which is his church? So I want to point to Philippians 2, 1 through 6, because I think it offers us a lot of wisdom in how we can do this. Sure, it's easy to read and say, Paul is Paul. He did it, right? It's easy to look at these figures in Scripture and see how awesome they were, how great they were, but it's also important to realize that they were people with feelings. Can you imagine the disappointment that Paul faced when he, back, when he went back to Corinth and, and saw the state of the church. Later on, he'll write a letter to the church in Philippi. And this is what he tells them. And I think if we're asking ourselves, how do we participate faithfully in God's work? I think this gives us a bit of an answer. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. 
he goes on and says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. I'll invite Carly to come back. I don't know if that resonated with you at all. As I think of the state of the church globally, I'm like, man, there are so many divisions going on between people, between denominations. And I was wondering, what would Paul say right now? I think he would be writing more letters to churches everywhere. So how do you participate today? It's easy to say, oh, well, let's not divide the church. But what does that really mean? Remember those questions Paul wrote here? Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? I want you to ask those same questions. Any comfort from his love? What does God's love mean today? Not only for me, but for my community. Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? So this morning I ask you, and I ask myself, how are our hearts doing? One of the powerful things in these, in the, these couple of verses is that final verse, verse 7. Instead, instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died on a criminal's death on a cross. That is power. So think about the context in which Paul is writing. Power was seen in your association to the powerful people. But now Paul is saying, the crucified and resurrected Jesus, that is power. He turns everything upside down. And so my final question for you this morning is this. Is what I'm doing encouraging and enabling people to worship the true and living God? If not, am I perhaps being untrue to the foundation that is Jesus Christ? Will you pray with me? Lord, we're so thankful for this opportunity we get to come together. We know that it's not easy. We recognize that even Paul said it was hard. As our churches are dividing and division is growing and growing, we ask that we return to that foundation, which is you. May we continue to preach your resurrected Christ. May we continue to preach a crucified, 
Christ on that cross. As we leave today, Lord, we ask that you work in us, among us, and through us this week. May we truly be image bearers of who you are. As we exit these doors, may we be a force that unifies not only our churches, but our communities, our families, our relationships. And we know this is possible because of what you did on that cross. Lord, we simply say thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your grace this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.